Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, August 14th, we are studying Judges chapter 21, verses 1 through 25. The civil war in Israel has come to a bloody end. One tribe has been almost entirely wiped out by the other 11. What will be done? in order to prevent the complete demise of the tribe of Benjamin. Today's text brings the book of Judges to its conclusion, and its end leaves us with that same bad taste we've had in our mouths throughout these last several chapters of the book of Judges especially. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Reverend Dr. Adam Coons. Pastor Kuntz is the Assistant Professor of Exegetical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Kuntz, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good morning. It's great to be with you. Glad to have you again. So, Pastor Kuntz, as we get started this morning, we've got the end of the book of Judges here today. Just remind us where we are in, in the account of the book of Judges, what we've seen that will lead to this text today. You are at the end of a long series of purposeful human sins and horrible misunderstandings. Uh, you are at the end of a long process of suffering and misery, all of it induced and explained by the refrain that comes up in Judges over and over again, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's what we've we've got here going on. We've seen, I mean, it's just an, an ugly thing that's that's happened in the land of Israel. It started with that awful sin back in chapter 19, some of the, the strangest texts that we've got in the book of Judges there. And it's just snowballed into this civil war that's happened. We saw the faithlessness on the part of the tribes of Israel, the other 11. We've seen the faithlessness in Benjamin, of course. And now it's it's all going to come to its, its rather... An ugly conclusion, I suppose. I don't. I just don't know how to. How do you characterize this, Pastor Coons? Because it is. I mean, it's just the, the way I put it in the introduction. I couldn't think of a better way to say it. Just all of this kind of leaves you with a bad taste in your mouth for this time of Israel's history. Yes. On the other hand, these things are written for our instruction. So, if you look at the chain of events that has led up to Chapter Twenty-One, the specific cause of it is really very understandable, and we see it often in daily life. But we'll see it again in the Bible when the same problems occur in the reign of Israel's and Judah's kings, which is this, that in chapter 19, you begin with the sort of vagaries of sexual desire that cause the Levite to take a concubine. Uh, she then abandons him. He goes to try to reconcile to her, and they're traveling. And then you get a replay of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, in Gebeah, which will also be the hometown of Saul. Uh, the most prominent Benjamite um, until St. Paul, the apostle. And uh, so what happens is the private evils metastasize like a cancer into public destruction, right? So the origin of the civil war is actually begins in the hearts of men which wander away from God's ways and judge things for themselves. So the idea that people are doing whatever they want is not a sort of grumpy reflection by the writer of judges on 
uh, I don't like how the world's going to, you know, hell in a handbasket. He's actually showing you something that we saw before in Sodom, uh, but we'll see again in Israel's own history, which is that when evil proceeds out from the heart, it wreaks destruction, right? Think about how James talked about the tongue, setting the whole world on fire. So it is with all human evil. When you do what is right in your own eyes, it wreaks destruction. You have no idea what you're doing or what you're about to destroy. Yeah, we, we've definitely, I, I've, I think we've, we've looked at that on a couple of occasions in this this section of the book of Judges, this epilogue that's started since 17, where you do really just see how ugly it is when you're doing whatever you want and the destruction that is evident. This is what it looks like when you're doing whatever you want, and it's not pretty. And that's that's the picture that we continue to see. So I'm going to read a little bit of the text for us, Pastor Coons, here in Judges chapter 21, and, and see how this comes to a conclusion, this, this picture that we've been seeing, the destruction. So Judges 21, beginning at verse 1. Now the men of Israel had sworn at Mizpah, no one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. And the people came to Bethel and sat there till evening before God. And they lifted up their voices and wept bitterly. And they said, O Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel, that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? And the next day the people rose early and built there an altar and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the people of Israel said, which of all the tribes of Israel did not come up in the assembly to the Lord? For they had taken a great oath concerning him who did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. And the people of Israel had compassion for Benjamin their brother, and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel this day. What shall we do for the wife? What shall we do for wives for those who are left, since we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them any of our daughters for wives? And they said, What one is there of the tribes of Israel that did not come up to the Lord to Mizpah? And behold, no one had come to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. For when the people were mustered, behold, not one of the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead was there. So the congregation sent 12,000 of their bravest men there and commanded them, Go and strike the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead with the edge of the sword, also the women and the little ones. This is what you shall do. Every male and every woman that is lain with a male, you shall devote to destruction. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead 400 young virgins who had not known a man by lying with him. And they brought them to the camp at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. I think I'll, I'll pause there, Pastor Coons. So again, this, this tale just, just gets stranger, it seems. So uh, Pastor Coons, we're, we're looking here at, at the first verse of Judges 21. Okay, so we've got in chapter 21, it begins with this oath. And this, this oath, I mean, well, actually, there's two oaths in this text. One is the oath that they take concerning the daughters, giving them in marriage to Benjamin. And then the second oath is the one concerning those who did not come up. And so I think we need to, to do a bit of compare and contrast with those two oaths. Probably we should understand why these oaths are taken, what all is involved. Let's start with the first one. They had sworn at Mizpah, no one of us shall give his daughter in marriage to Benjamin. What was the the point of that oath that they took there at Mizpah? Why did they take it in the first place? 
they want to exclude Benjamin from um, mixing with them. And this is to treat Benjamin as if Benjamin is not in Israel. Because marriage to non-Israelites is forbidden for religious reasons. You can go back to, for instance, the story of Phineas. Uh, the issue is not so much that it's a different ethnicity. Um, you know, you can see examples in Genesis of people marrying Moabites or Egyptians or something. But uh, to not marry, to refuse marriage is to uh, behave as if Benjamin is outside Israel, that it would lead us astray into foreign gods, that they have a different god. So the oath is an oath of self-preservation, which they now understand as not including Benjamin, despite his inheritance in Israel. Was that the right move to make? I think, I mean, so here's, well, because yeah. I think this is yeah, a question. No, not at all. Okay, I mean, so what, yeah. this is where I, I think there's, there's just tons of irony here in the oaths that they make and in the way that they try to keep the oaths, because it... In some respects, they seem to want to try to to be pious Israelites. They're like, look, we made an oath, we're going to keep it. But the oath itself is questionable in the first place. And then the way that they keep it, as as we'll see, isn't really. I mean, it's it's not to the at least the heart of it, and certainly not the letter of it either. I think. So, I mean, should they have made an oath like that in the first place? Should they even be trying to keep an oath like this? What do you think? No, and you see here something that happens frequently in Judges, which is that sins are repeated, uh, but the people who are doing it in later times often are unaware. It's like they've learned nothing from what happened in the past. What happens here is a repetition of Jephthah's sin in vowing to devote to God through sacrifice the first thing he sees when he comes home from victory, and the first thing he sees is his virgin daughter. So you have here a hasty oath, which appears pious, but is in fact the opposite of God's will. God doesn't want human sacrifice, and he doesn't want a tribe cut off from Israel, but those are the very things that people in their false piety uh, are presuming. I remember when we when we talked about Jephthah here on Sharper Iron, we, we talked about that, whether Jephthah needed to make that oath at all, I mean, which which he really didn't, because he had the Lord's promise that he was going to win. So an, an oath was completely unnecessary. The oath that he made didn't do a very good job of excluding any sort of human sacrifice when he talked about whatever came out of his house first. I mean, certainly he was prop. Well, you assume he was thinking an animal, but he doesn't do anything to exclude the possibility that it could have been his daughter, which it turned out. And then after everything happens, there's never any conversation between Jephthah and his daughter or anybody else concerning the possibility of whether or not this oath should actually be kept. What would the Lord actually have us do with this oath that was made in the first place? And and there's no, I mean, there's no consultation with the Lord there, with any Levites or priests or anyone that, that might know what the Lord's word has to say on a matter like this. And it is a very similar situation here where you've got this oath that was made it really wasn't a good oath to make in the first place. Now they're going to attempt to keep that oath. But the question comes up, I mean, should they even be trying? And again, they're not really going to ever consult the Lord in all this. It's just a it's a really backwards time for the people of Israel. It just continues, like you were saying, from what we've seen previously. Yeah. And I, I think that when, for instance, our, our formula of Concord talks about the third use of the law, that is that God's law guides Christians in good works. 
the reason for that is something that you see over and over and over again in Scripture. Jesus has this sort of a confrontation with the Pharisees, and that is the danger is not so much that Christians will do nothing, that believers, that God's Israel, the church, will do nothing. The danger is especially that we will invent good works, quote, good works, and then devote ourselves to them as if God actually desired them, right? Jesus says, you know, quoting, uh, quoting the Old Testament, uh, that you are teaching as doctrines the traditions of men, right? You're teaching what men have invented as if they were God's will. And so we want God to guide us in what we should actually be devoting ourselves to, because we are very hasty as sinners to cloak our own desires and our own hastiness with God's name, inventing oaths we should not. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's certainly what we see here with the people of Israel concerning this. So they're going to treat Benjamin like they are an outsider, like they are, are completely cut off from the, the rest of Israel by not giving their daughters in marriage to Benjamin. They... Again, it's just you know I don't know exactly what to do with this. Sometimes you know they they come they weep. It's like they're they're sorry. I don't know that they're sorry for the right thing. Verse verse three. This this cry that they have. Oh Lord, the God of Israel, why has this happened in Israel that today there should be one tribe lacking in Israel? To me, comes off a little like are you guys not paying attention. I mean, it's not the Lord's fault that this has happened. It's it's yours. Should they again? This this question. It seems a bit ironic to me. Yeah, it's their fault, right? <laughs> yeah, it, and it's completely ironic. And this is the way that the Old Testament, so skillfully throughout the historical books, teaches you things. Because I I often think of it as uh, the the Old Testament, especially, but really the whole Bible is more like a European film than a Hollywood film. In a Hollywood film, they tell you, they give you the music. They give you the visuals. They give you the human close-ups. They're telling you how to feel at every stage. It's very easy. It's very obvious. The Bible is more like a movie that's going to use uh, quick cuts or it's using montages. It's not giving you all the information that you need to figure out how you should feel and what you should think. So you have to pay careful attention. Right. So, okay. so at the same time that they're saying we're not going to marry these people, it's like they're not even Israel anymore, despite what God said, uh, despite the fact that they come from Joseph, despite all that. I'm sorry, Joseph, Jacob, uh, Joseph's brother is Benjamin. Despite all that, we're sad that they're not there. So what you have are people who at the same time are both going against God's will and lamenting the fact that God's will is not being accomplished. I believe, help my unbelief. So at the same time, they sincerely are saddened by this, but can somehow divorce that from their own actions. So you get a lot of insight on humans, in this case in a group, but you also see it usually individually. I want this, but I actually want that. I publicly say this, but in actual fact, I do that. It's all, they're all over the place. And uh, you see that on full display. I don't doubt their sincerity. Why, why do we not have a tribe? I also don't doubt that they truly are blind to their own sin. Uh, man, as you're talking about that, Pastor Coons, I, just, I can't help but, but think of some of my own personal reflections and thoughts concerning the pandemic 
and all of the surrounding chaos that has has happened in one way, shape, or another. And I mean, I, I, I'm I usually do a better job at looking at this and seeing it in others than I do it in myself. Where where I, I mean, it'd be very similar to reading the book of Judges, where where I'm looking at the tribe of Israel and and saying, look, how can you be sad about this when it's your own fault? And and not they don't recognize their own. They can't see their blindness in that, right. and and right. and similarly, when it comes to things with this pandemic, where where I'll see someone criticizing someone else, and and yet, like, well, can't you see where where you're you're blind in that? And and then I and when the Lord grants this to me, then I think, yeah, but but Pastor Apple, Tim, where where are you blind to the things that I mean? This this is not um, a unique problem to the people of Israel. No. We still see this in our own day. No. Not at all. And I think one of the big roles, obviously, that, that Paul identifies for Scripture is that these things are written for our instruction. Because when you go through, when you go through someone else's life in reading about him, you have, a, you have in Scripture a divine record of other people's sins. And so one of the marvelous things about this is that I don't necessarily have to go to the length of, you know, uh, killing somebody or um, burning down someone's field or hiding in a wine press because I'm terrified. I don't have to do everything that everyone in the book of Judges has done. I can see them as the story plays out, engaged in things that give me pause for reflection, cause for reflection, uh, a desire to pray for gifts that I don't currently have, especially the gift of seeing the log in my own eye. So these things are written for our instruction, partly so that we don't have to end up in the very same place that they did. Yeah, yeah, because and and it ends up in a rather. I mean, it's just a you just like you can't you help you feel sorry for the people of Israel for not recognizing it at the moment. You don't want to end up in this place, and it does. I mean, this the book of Judges. I think the these last chapters. I'll, I'll admit these last chapters from seventeen on. When I was laying out this series, I was I was dreading these chapters a bit because honestly, I, I don't always know what to do with them, and there's some yeah. ugly stuff in them. But but the more that I've read them and, and talked about them with the guests, it's it has been helpful to see just to see that picture that's put in front of you. This is where, as you were saying at the beginning, this is what happens when you do what is right in your own eyes. The the destruction that is wreaked is awful. And and just to to have that picture painted for you in full high definition color TV is I mean, while it's not pleasant to look at, it is helpful so that I would see that and avoid it in my own life. I mean, I think that's, at least for me, that's, that's one of the things that I've gotten out of these last few chapters of Judges, looking at them more carefully that maybe I hadn't picked up on before. Right, right, exactly. So, Pastor Coons, as, so they've got this oath, and, and we've talked about maybe this really wasn't the oath they should have taken, but they've got it, and, and they seem they're going to keep it. Now, and yet they, they don't really, I mean, this is, this is where things, you know, so they're not supposed to give their daughters in marriage to Benjamin period, but it's like, they're looking for a loophole to, to do something for them. And like, again, I, well, maybe, and this might be a hard question to answer, but what, what should they have done? What would have been, to me, it seems they should have simply repented of this oath and, and gone back to treating Benjamin as a, a full brother and not gone to some of the lengths that we're going to see them go to. I mean, is that, would that have been the more faithful thing to do? Well, you have, often in Judges, it's helpful to contrast it with Joshua. So 
in Joshua, near the end, you have a kind of covenant renewal where Israel sees one another face to face. And I think this is why Hebrews is so insistent on not ne- neglecting the meeting together, as some do. Because when you are away from, distanced from your brothers in Christ, it is very easy to disregard them. It is very easy to write them off. It is very easy to cut them off. What they should have done would be to renew their covenant with the Lord, to listen to his word, be read by his uh, priests, um, most likely by this time in Israel's history, and then to dedicate themselves both to its blessings and to its curses. So they could hear clearly that Benjamin is in Israel and that there is provision for atonement in Israel. They don't bother with that. They begin to invent their own things. When we don't listen to Scripture, we will make up our own stuff, right? The Book of Mormon is just a longer collection of people making up their own stuff than most other groups have produced. But this is what we do when we sin. We make up our own rules, our own commandments, our own doctrines. So since they've made that up, they are going to stick to what they said. And then the second oath concerning, uh, well, who didn't come to Mizpah to worship the Lord That second oath is, again, about a group that they didn't see, right? They've had these problems over and over again, and they'll have more of them. Uh, And that is that when you don't see the brother, when you don't have to deal with the brother or the group of brothers, uh, cutting them off and uh, countermanding the Lord's own word, it becomes very easy. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. When you when you don't actually see the person, it is much easier to to simply just cut them off, to write them off. The the people of Israel here do that very literally. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick some of those things up on the other side of the break. If you're listening to Sharper Iron, take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Have you ever wondered if your investments could do more? I mean, a whole lot more. This is Rahema Kavuga, Synod Relations Manager of Lutheran Church Extension Fund. When you invest with us, you not only earn a competitive interest rate, but your investment goes to strengthen Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations through low-cost loans and services. To learn more, visit lcef.org backslash invest101. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. Welcome back to Sharp Iron. It's Friday, August 14th. We're looking at Judges chapter 21 with the Reverend Dr. Adam Kuntz, Assistant Professor of Exegetical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Kuntz, prior to the break, we were talking about the the ease with which we would cut our brother off when we don't see him. And again, I mean, there's a pandemic going on. I don't know if you've heard that. I, I tend to talk, we tend to talk about that a <laughs> heard, lot, right? I heard a little bit about that. <laughs> so, but I mean, I think you know, it, it's just, I think there's an application here. And in, in a time when we're not seeing 
our brothers in the faith as often. I mean, how, how often it's hopefully gotten a little better now, but particularly at the beginning of everything, when we were not yep. seeing each other face to face, it is much easier to cut each other off in, in very sinful ways. I mean, social media, I think is another application of this where I'm not with him and it is very easy i think to to cut him off much like we've seen the people of israel here do with the tribe of benjamin already and as they're going to do with the tribe of, or the, the inhabitants of jabesh gilead and it toward the end of this text so pastor coons we're, <laughs> when, when we get you back i'll let you respond to that so oh i oh. i think i'm here Good, you are. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> Social media oh and, and not seeing our brother is what we were what we were yeah. talking about. Yeah. So I, I would say that what social media does is that it offers you a semblance of community without its reality. And its reality also involves how you would behave if you were physically present with a person. If you don't have to do that, you therefore will simply behave differently than you would if you were physically present. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, there's a, there, I, I don't know if, you know, there, there are things that, that we're willing to say on social media that we wouldn't to our brother's face, because we know that if we said it to our brother's face, we'd probably get hit in the face or, right. or maybe, I mean, right. in some yeah, way, right. way, shape exactly. or form, you know, it, it just, we we forget that on the other side of that screen is a is a real human being and and sometimes you know i mean we're talking to brothers in the faith these are these are christians that we're talking to and talking about and and we we forget that and it i mean that's you know you're doing what's right in your own eyes and it it's not a pretty picture right i think i think also one of the lasting effects of the pandemic on the church will not so much be that, you know, communion procedures have to change or something. Um, people will figure that out or whatever. I think it will be the way in which uh, not meeting together for months, in some cases, uh, Christians did not even see each other, much less commune together, how destructive that is for the church, that it has in some cases speeded up processes of uh, flying apart uh, or bursting apart at the seams that maybe were already there, but have been exacerbated. So the, what happens with the destruction or the planned destruction of those from Jabesh Gilead is that they are taking an issue which was already there because they didn't come to Mizpah. But because of this other crisis, that issue now has come front and center and becomes their excuse to destroy that town, at least its male inhabitants. Hmm, right. I mean, that that word excuse, I think, is a good a good word to bring out here, because it I, over and over again, you see the people looking for excuses to do what they want to do. I mean, if, if <laughs> right. the people well, I mean, if the people of Israel really thought from just to go back to that first oath, if they really thought that Benjamin should have been cut off from Israel, then they they should have done it. If that if that's really what the truth was, then then Benjamin should have been cut off and there should not have been given any sort of Israelite wives to do that. But but right. they, they find a, an excuse, a way out to to get them Israelite wives through the destruction of, of Jabesh Gilead. And as we'll see, they don't get enough. That's that's still coming. So they, they find the excuse to to sort of again that when this is what happens when we start to make up our own works. 
because we even even the works that we make up, we can't really keep them perfectly. And so we have to find ways around even our own laws to keep them. I mean, we're constantly changing the law. And I think the same is true with this second oath. You know, we're going to this this tribe that didn't anybody that didn't come is going to be cut off. Well, they sort of do that, but they don't completely do that. They keep the the virgin daughters for wives for Benjamin. So, I mean, it's just, you know, over and over again, you, you see the people of Israel. This is this is where this path leads of doing what is right in your own eyes. You're just you're making up your own works. You can't even keep those. So you, you're finding ways around it. It's just I mean, it's just bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's also extremely familiar. I think anyone, oh, sure. if he's if he's honest, can observe this in himself. He can also observe it. Certainly pastors can observe this in what people do and the things that they tell themselves instead of repenting. Uh, It's very illuminating. And uh, if you've ever done private confession, whether gone to it or heard them, you know that people are not good at it when they start because it comes very easily to justify oneself, to make up one's own works. It is very hard to repent and then to pursue God's way, which would involve actually dealing with the brother face to face. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, we we are we are so good at self justification. It does it does come back to that 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 this is our attempt to instead of simply repenting, confessing, and repenting and turning to the Lord alone for our mercy, we we try to find ways around it, excuses to make. At, it's self-justification over and over again. And it, when we, when we follow down that path, it does, it does turn out very badly. So let's, I mean, the second oath that they take, they, they say, okay, we've got this oath. Whoever didn't come up is going to be put to death. They, they do some looking, ah, here is Jabesh Gilead. They didn't come up. So the people of Israel send 12,000 of their bravest men. And they say, go, go kill them the women, the little ones as well, other than any, any virgin is, is because they're looking for the wives for Benjamin. Again, that's how these, these two O's are, are meshing together. And I mean, right. it's, this is, again, this is very uh, strong language, particularly in verse 11, that they are, this, this company of men is told to devote the people of Jabesh Gilead to destruction. Again, this, this is language that's talking about non-Israelites it is the way they're being treated. Right. Right. Well, what, what, is, what is going on is that when people become like unbelievers themselves, as, say, the men of Gebeah did in uh, asking to sleep with the Levite, um, or when they do anything that resembles unbelief, that is itself unbelief, they then begin to treat others within Israel as unbelievers. So it is as if the church were treating each of its own members as if they themselves were not the church. Um, there, is a, there is a snowball process going on here where I begin with my own sin and then I impute sin to others where there is no sin, right? So because I'm not actually trusting in God's promises for my justification, I now, in my self-justification, have begun, instead of resting in Christ's atonement, I now demand atonement from others. This is the essence of the man who was forgiven much but refused to forgive a tiny debt owed to him. And so now they begin to treat others as if they are under God's judgment, as if they should be destroyed for their sin, uh, as if they were Amorites or Canaanites or Jebusites or all those ites 
that people forget about, can't even differentiate. Now that is being carried out within Israel. Israel is carrying out the instructions it was given at the beginning of Joshua to destroy the unbelieving tribes in the land. But instead of doing that to the unbelieving tribes, they stopped at some point in Joshua. They settled down and they're doing it to each other. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a terribly sad reversal that has happened by this point in the book of Judges, particularly when you compare it to Joshua. And I think the, the snowball effect is a good way of looking at it at, at any at a number of points in this narrative going all the way back to chapter 19. There, there are spots where if, if the person or the tribe would have simply recognized what was going on and repented. It, it could have stopped. I mean, particularly in chapter in chapter 20, we talked about this, how how at any number of points, you know, there there's that that place where don't say what you said, don't do what you did. And, and, and all this could <laughs> could stop. But it, it and you've got the same thing here. And, and it just it just keeps snowballing and it, and it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. And it, it does go to show you're talking about the matter of, of when, you know, people becoming like unbelievers and then treating others like unbelievers. I think it, it does go to show just how serious unbelief is. I, I think we don't often take it as seriously as we should. I mean, you know, you'll, you'll hear people you'll hear people say, well, like non-Christians are sometimes nicer than Christians. And, and well, maybe that's true sometimes, but that doesn't I mean. Unbelief is bad, and unbelief has really bad consequences. And and the book of Judges here at the end particularly gives us the, the ugly picture of what unbelief actually does. Don't don't just think you can kind of be some sort of nice person and not a Christian. Well, I mean, maybe you can be nice to your neighbor as, as a person who's not a Christian, but unbelief's bad, and it's going to yeah. have consequences in your life and the lives of others. Is that? I mean, how about it? Yeah. I don't think that's going too far to say that. I do not think that's going at all too far, because when we pray, for instance, not to fall into false doctrine, that is not simply a sort of Missouri Synod tick, like a sort of cranky habit from the past. The point of that is that false doctrine, whether it's inside the church, God forbid, or outside the church, false doctrine leads to a false life. I can't finally separate what I believe and trust in from the kind of human being I am. And if I recognize that Christians are, for instance, more unkind to each other than unbelievers, that is not a blessing upon unbelief. That is a condemnation of obvious unbelief and obvious lack of a famine of God's word inside the church. That's the issue. And it's the issue in Judges. Because here, it is not the unbelief of the Philistines or the Amorites that stands condemned. It is the unbelief of Israel that stands condemned. Right. Yeah. Well, well said. Let's keep let's read the rest of the text here in Judges chapter 21, because it, it, the, the, there's just a, you know, the account continues and it doesn't really get much better. So we're now in verse 13. <laughs> right. So, again, they've, they've put the inhabitants of Jabesh Gilead to the sword other than these 400 young virgins. Verse 13, then the whole congregation sent word to the people of Benjamin who were at the rock of Ramon and proclaimed peace to them. And to Benjamin returned at that time. And they gave them the women whom they had saved alive of the women of Jabesh Gilead, but they were not enough for them. And the people had compassion on Benjamin because the Lord had made a breach in the tribes of Israel. Then the elders of the congregation said, what shall we do for wives for those who are left since the women are destroyed out of Benjamin? And they said, there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin, that a tribe not be blotted out from Israel. Yet we cannot give them wives from our daughters. 
for the people of Israel had sworn, cursed be he who gives a wife to Benjamin. So they said, behold, there is the yearly feast of the Lord at Shiloh, which is north of Bethel on the east of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Labona. And they commanded the people of Benjamin saying, go and lie in ambush in the vineyards and watch. If the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance in the dances, then come out of the vineyards and snatch each man, his wife from the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. And when their fathers or their brothers come to complain to us, we will say to them, grant them graciously to us because we did not take for each man of them, his wife in battle. Neither did you give them to them else you would now be guilty. And the people of Benjamin did so and took their wives according to their number from the dancers whom they carried off. Then they went and returned to their inheritance and rebuilt the towns and lived in them. And the people of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. And they went out from there, every man to his inheritance. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that is the end of the text, the end of the book of Judges. So, Pastor Coons, you have more of that excuse making going on here. I mean, it really comes to where you're inventing things, inventing ways around to do what you want to do anyways. Uh, maybe, and I'm not sure if we, we really talked about this. It does come up in this part of the text. Verse 17, the, the people of Israel, they're still concerned with the tribe of Benjamin remaining. They, they don't want this tribe to be blotted out from Israel. Why is that such a big deal anyways? Because there is some remembrance that they have been given this inheritance, a word that you get at the very end of the book. And because they've been given that inheritance, there's a sort of, I think of it as like the real estate portion of the book of Joshua that tells you all the little towns and the, these guys went here and these guys went there. And uh, Because of that, they know that they, they need to keep going. They have been given a portion in Israel. So how do we do that? Since we can't give them our daughters, we can't do it freely. We, we can no longer freely acknowledge what the Lord has said because we don't want to reconcile and we don't want to atone. Again, see how all of this is an avoidance of reconciliation and atonement. <laughs> they will not do it that way. The temple has nothing, or the tabernacle has nothing to do with this. They don't bring any priests in. They're just trying to find loopholes in their own stuff. So the loophole that is found is that, okay, well, we didn't get enough women from, you know, wreaking havoc on Jabesh Gilead. So it, rather than that, now to get all the other Benjaminites, because having, you know, young men that have no marriage prospects is generally a bad idea in peacetime. Uh, we're going to uh, just accidentally have them kidnap uh, some ladies uh, up in Shiloh. Okay. And they give these sort of, they, they provide directions to Shiloh. You know, that's why you get that sort of, it's south of Labona. Oh yeah. Okay. I know where that is. So then I can go up there. And if I'm a Benjamite that has uh, no woman, uh, I can wait until the women are sort of in the open country, and then I can seize them like the Romans uh, taking the Sabine women. And uh, now I've got myself a commonwealth. Uh, I can go back to my farm and I can have kids and life can go on. So what's funny here, I think, especially is they are trying to accomplish what overall could be understood as a good purpose. That is living on the land that the Lord has given them. That's what they're supposed to be doing. But they're going to do that and ensure that in a way which is utterly wrong. You're not supposed to steal women. Uh, you're supposed to marry them uh, freely. And, uh, but here they are, and uh, this is their solution. 
Mm, yeah, I, and I think, I mean, it is, it's, it's totally backwards. And I, I think that's a, a good way of looking at it, particularly what, what you were saying. Um, oh, where did I write it down? About the, the matter, they're avoiding real reconciliation and they're avoiding atonement. And, and when they avoid that actual way that the Lord has given to deal with this sort of sin and unbelief, then the only path that's available is more sin and more unbelief. And and not only, right. I mean, you know, not only is it the Benjaminites who are who are doing this, but the the leaders of Israel are complicit in it as well. And then when the people of Shiloh sort of realize what's going on, they say, well, this was sort of our way around it. And, you know, at least you're not, I think it sounds like the consolation that they're trying to give to the people of Shiloh for their daughters and sisters being stolen. is like, well, at least you didn't break the oath, you know, you know that oath that we shouldn't have even made. At least right, you didn't break right. that, you know? I mean, it's just, it's, it's just right. an overall, at least a bad taste in your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, maybe I just find too many things funny in life, but I mean, it, it isn't just so much like life, you know, it's like, yeah. this is, I mean, this is how people are. They, they, they do something stupid. And then they explain to themselves or to others why that was actually the best thing to do. Yeah. And so the consolation for Shiloh is, well, you know, I mean, you didn't give your daughters, you know, you just left them exposed in open country and a man kidnapped her. But you're not, I mean, you're not responsible for human trafficking. It wasn't you. You didn't give them away. You didn't sell them into slavery. So it's, these these sorts of rationalizations are what sinners love so much to do when they don't want anything to do with repentance and Jesus' blood. You know, they just they want to avoid God's provided atonement here in the tabernacle in the future through the Messiah's sacrifice, and so they'll come up with whatever they need to to get out of doing that. Yeah, yeah, and and all of so all of this then is I mean what we what we're seeing here. The writer of Judges summarizes for us in verse 25, the last verse of the book. And we've we've referenced words, these words throughout this epilogue because you see particularly you don't get the whole phrase every time, but it will tell you there's no king. And then this matter of doing what's right in in your own eyes, which I mean, I think we can spend a little time on on both of those here towards the end of the, the show. We've still got about 10 minutes. So first, uh, let's see. Which one do you, let's do that. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Cause I think that the King's going to really propel us forward more as we think, as the Lord works from here. So this matter of, I mean, what, what does that mean? Everyone's doing what is right in his own eyes. Yeah. This goes all the way back to the garden in that human beings, the, the, the temptation for Adam is not that he, um, gets to know more things than he knew before. That's, that's a very common misunderstanding of what the knowledge of good and evil would constitute. Adam actually has all the knowledge he could ever handle and more than anyone's ever had. He is, Adam is certainly wiser than Solomon. He can call all the animals by their names, and he can roam through the whole earth and have dominion over it. Um, this is his given mandate from the Lord. So Adam does not have a sort of deficit of knowledge uh, in some sense of, I know this, or, not, or I know more than you, or you know more than I do. Adam does not have, is not given the capacity to define good and evil. That's what Adam wants. That's what a God has. A God can tell you what is good and what is evil. So what is happening in Judges is that you have a lot of the sons and daughters of Adam now deciding for themselves what good and evil are. 
they will usually express this, and it will become more and more explicit over Israel's history. This looks forward as well as the king thing. It will become more and more explicit how much idolatry is truly going on, how much evil is actually being practiced because of that idolatry, the false life coming from the false doctrine. And the false doctrine is simply this, that I define for myself what is good and what is evil. I think right now in Judges, it's actually rather that 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 definition is actually rather pious still. They're still phrasing it in terms of the Lord and cursed be the one who wasn't when we were worship, who wasn't there when we were worshiping or whatever it might be. It will become less pious over time. And they will eventually explicitly use the names of foreign gods. But the issue goes all the way back to Genesis 3 in that I want to define for myself what is good and what is evil. Yeah, and, and in that sense, as you said, it goes to the, the matter of idolatry, particularly the idolatry of, of the self, that I want to be God. And I, I mean, I think that, and I, I, don't, I think I've said this before, you know, when you think about the book of Judges as a whole, this matter of doing what is right in your own eyes, I think we can connect it to the first part of the book where the phrase is the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So if, if it's right. right in your own eyes, then it's evil in the sight of the Lord. And and that evil, I mean, we said this several times, is not just sort of, I mean, it certainly is the evil deeds that we've seen here in the epilogue, but it, it does trace itself to the matter of idolatry, that, that it's about who is God and it's not you. And when you think it's you, this is this is what happens. And then and then too, I, I think that there that sort of a hinge point within the book of judges the end of 16 to the beginning of 17 where samson's eyes are gouged out i think i think that has something to say about all this matter of doing what is right in your own eyes versus doing what is evil in the sight of the lord how those two things go together and samson's law i mean even even samson one of the judges when he loses his eyes in my mind, that that shows just how how bad it really is. That even even the judges are are blinded in this way. Which I I think then maybe that helps us with with the first part of verse twenty five. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Right. Would would a king have made it better? What's what what's the importance <laughs> of of that for us? So it it obviously it tells you a little bit about when the book was written because right. it looks it looks backward from a future after these events in which there are kings. We don't know exactly when, but it certainly looks backward, evaluating. That, however, is more ambiguous if you're reading the Bible closely than maybe it appears. So this is not merely a political comment. Like back then, people couldn't vote and they just got told what to do by the Lord of the Manor, the way modern people look on the Middle Ages or something. Uh, It looks all the way back to the question of sovereignty that has always been there as long as Israel has been a people. And Israel is unusual in not having a human king, especially for something that is so highly organized and in the land of Canaan becomes an agricultural society. They're extremely unusual in their place and time in not having a visible king, especially a sort of priestly king who rules over them in a continuing dynasty the way that the Egyptians or the Babylonians have. The king of Israel is the Lord. And that is meant really quite literally. That is why they read his covenant law. That is why they swear to uphold the blessings and the curses, not of their words or their oaths, but his words and his oaths. 
there is no king in Israel doesn't just look forward to what will be a very ambivalent future, which Samuel will define as you can have the human king you're asking for, and he will take your sons and your daughters to himself for his own purposes. So get ready. And that's exactly what happens. But the Lord says very clearly to Samuel when Samuel is saying, I can't give them a king. He says, it is not that they have rejected you. They have rejected me. And that happened long before the Lord said that to Samuel. That happened long before even the very end of Judges. They had rejected him and hearing his word. And Judges is the sort of intermediary period between having the Lord as king and hearing and heeding his word and having some man who will perish like the flower of the field for a king, which is what they'll end up wanting. Pastor Chris, we've got about two minutes here on the morning. This text, the end of the book of Judges, as we reflect on it, how is all of this pointing us toward our Lord Jesus Christ? There's only one king before whom every knee will one day bow. Therefore, we need to acknowledge him now, and especially that the only way to peace among men, either now or forever, is through the sacrifice that he has made for the sins of all of us, Benjamites, Jabesh Gileadites, and everybody. Acknowledging that and receiving that sacrifice, we can have peace with God. We do right now. And we can also have peace with one another, not pursuing what is right in our own eyes or according to our own imaginations, the eyes being clogged with a log and the imagination darkened by sin. But we can pursue the Lord's ways of peace and of mercy with one another. The Reverend Dr. Adam Kuntz is Assistant Professor of Exegetical Theology at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, helping us this morning with Judges chapter 21, verses 1 through 25. Pastor Kuntz, thanks for being our guest today. Hey, thanks a lot. The book of Judges comes to its end. We get to see in full high definition what it looks like when everyone does what is right in his own eyes, and there is no worship of the true king in Israel who is the Lord. And it's not a pretty picture. And yet in that picture, we see our own selves. We see the excuses that we would make for our sin. We see the way that we rebel against the reconciliation and the atonement that the Lord offers and instead seek after self-justification. And through this picture, the Lord calls us to repentance, to trust in him, to make use of that free gift of reconciliation and atonement that he has given in our King, Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you and for me. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for taking this journey through the book of Judges with us. We're going to start Ruth on Monday, and I look forward to talking to you then.